Michael Wald, thank you so much for joining me today. The topic is a big one, and it affects every single one of us, and it's centered around the term endocrine disruptor. If you've never heard of the term endocrine disruptor, let me give you just a brief definition. Endocrine disruptors are a very complex group of what are known as heterogeneous chemicals, which basically means there are lots of different chemical compounds that are considered as endocrine disruptors. And as the term endocrine disruptors might suggest to you, these chemicals in one way or another cause hormonal imbalances. And these hormonal problems can begin even in utero, even when the baby is developing or the fetus is developing in the uterus. So once again, endocrine disruptors are heterogeneous chemicals, lots of different types, including persistent contaminants like pesticides, as well as all sorts of compounds present in uh, consumer products and uh, even natural substances. For most endocrine disruptors, it's important to know that the food chain is the current major exposure route for the general population. Now, before I continue, I wanna just welcome everyone joining us for this show on endocrine disruptors. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You can send your show topics directly to me at the following email. That's info at blooddetective.com. And you can call me as well or schedule with me if you'd like to work on your health problems at 914-552-1442. We can do that either in person or at a distance. So more about endocrine disruptors. These are chemicals that interfere with endocrine or hormone systems at certain doses. And as you might imagine, the ability of anything to affect you in life is relative It's relative to your psychology. It may be relative to your body mass. It may be relative to your current level of health. It may be relative to what medications you take, what nutrients you take. So endocrine disruptors, just like everything else, are based upon their potential to do harm is based upon the individual, which is why it's so difficult to blame endocrine disruptors for the cause of so many different diseases because in the world of medicine, you see, when a doctor sees a group of patients. And if there are lots of people that report to his or her office or the the emergency room that have similar or the same symptoms, it's easy to say, hey, there's an epidemic and it's in the population and there it is. But endocrine disruptors can look like bladder cancer in one person today and lung cancer or a colonic polyp in other individuals 10 years from now. And I would even go so far to say, this is my personal opinion, that the whole concept of uh, disease and cause is far more complicated than you might think. A good deal of us will blame, let's say, how we feel, symptoms that we're uh, experiencing on on something we were exposed to, let's say, yesterday. And maybe that something yesterday was a gluten. But perhaps that gluten exposure was just another straw, the last straw on the camel's back of exposure to toxins such as endocrine disruptors over the course of your lifetime. So I know it's complicated. 
But all I really need you to get from that part or this part of the conversation is that endocrine disruptors are out there. The chances of us experiencing health problems because of our exposure to endocrine disruptors is extremely, extremely high. So the disruptions that are caused by endocrine disruptors can be, as I just mentioned, uh, cancerous tumors, birth defects, and other developmental disorders. Any system in the body controlled by hormones can be absolutely derailed by hormone disruptors, disruptors specifically Endocrine disruptors may be associated with the development of all manner of learning disabilities like severe attention deficit disorder, any manner of cognitive and brain development disorders. So we're talking the full spectrum of spectrum disorders. I hear a lot of talk about their cause being from inoculation, certain vaccinations, and also from maybe gluten and perhaps even GMOs. And I think that's very probable. Except I think it's far more probable that endocrine disruptors are at, the, uh, at causation because of their pervasive uh, ways of affecting the body and the fact that they are ever present and they're linked with dozens and dozens of diseases. For example, for example also uh, breast cancer has been related, which is a hormonal related disease and endocrine, endocrine means hormone, disruptors can cause breast cancer prostate cancer, thyroid, and not just thyroid cancer, but even hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, low or high thyroid, and other cancers, uh, sexual developmental problems, such as uh, feminization of males or masculizing effects that you might see in females, such as uh, more prominent muscle mass or larger breasts, but even conditions such as uh, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, or something as simple as uh, you know, a hair, hair on the body in places you don't want, uh, problems with blood sugar, including, well, what you should know is that the Endocrine Society, a well-respected hormonal educational group, released a statement on endocrine disruptors, and they're, they're abbreviated, just so you know, EDC, endocrine disruptors, endocrine disrupting uh, chemicals. They specifically listed obesity as a cause, as being caused by endocrine disruption. So you can have exposure to various chemicals that affect your metabolic rate, causing you to be obese, or the endocrine disruptors can promote inflammatory and or toxic effects and insulin resistance, giving you obesity, diabetes, causing female reproductive problems, male reproductive problems. You know, I see people all the time that are trying to uh, get pregnant, trying to have a baby, and they spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars on expensive drugs that uh, we don't even know the long-term effects of. But my point here is that there is no thought, absolutely no thought given to causes of why these people are infertile. Commonly, there is hypothyroidism, even that, is not checked most of the time when I review the blood work that people that come to see me for nutrition and and, uh, fertility have gotten from the fertility experts, let alone more detailed tests to, if not to identify specific endocrine disruptors, but at least to nutritionally through lifestyle and maybe even medications support the body's ability to 
basically detoxify endocrine disruptors, gather endocrine disruptors from the body, and excrete them and detoxify them. Of course, detoxification comes first and, and uh, elimination comes last. When it comes to endocrine, endocrine disruptors, we do need detox. We need a daily detox because we're exposed to these chemicals all of the time. And if you have any chronic health problem of which a clear-cut cause has never been identified, I would strongly suggest that you consider that you too may be suffering from one or more endocrine-disrupting chemicals and their deleterious effects upon the body. But you know, the Endocrine Society also had on their list of conditions suspected of being caused by endocrine disruptors all manner of neurodevelopment and neuroendocrine problems. Meaning that anything from Parkinson's disease, a neurologic problem, to Alzheimer's dementia and non-Alzheimer dementia, even pain syndromes, anything that involves the nervous system, autism, Asperger's syndrome, Tourette's syndrome, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity, the list goes on and on and on and on. The nervous system is particularly susceptible to insults by endocrine disruptors because the nervous system has receptors. Receptors means it has a sensitivity to hormones and if a tissue has sensitivities to hormones, which practically all of our body's tissues do to different hormones, you know, to estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid hormone, our body's, you know, growth hormone, they know how to use them. They have receptors on the cells uh, that selectively manage the uptake and use of the hormones in the body. But here's what you need to get. Endocrine disruptors, in part, disrupt hormones in the body by blocking those hormone receptors or by stimulating them, the hormone receptors often do act like super hormones. There are plastics, chemicals, known as xenoestrogens, produced by the outpouring of industrial waste of plastics, which are super estrogens that have thousands of times the effects, the biological effects, of the endogenous estrogens produced in a woman's body. If you stimulate these estrogen receptors by way of estrogen endocrine disruptors, you can cause everything from breast cancer to cysts in a very, very short period of time, not to mention uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, anything. But Here's how the problem gets even worse. The critical period of development of most organisms is between the transition from a fertilized egg into a fully formed infant. As the cell begins to grow and differentiate into the different parts of the baby, there are critical balances of hormones and protein changes that have to occur. They must occur. A dose of disrupting chemicals may do substantial damage to a developing fetus just because of this hormone interfering process. The same dose of a chemical or endocrine disruptor may not significantly affect the mother. It could affect her offspring. And that offspring grows up and years later, even decades later, could suffer from the adverse effects of hormone disruptors in the form of cancer or memory or Alzheimer's disease susceptibility, even heart disease when 
the mother did not have an issue because of the selective way in which we all hold on to and detoxify various chemicals, which include, of course, endocrine disruptors. So I'll say that again. The same dose of endocrine disruptors may affect a developing child, may, but may not affect the mother. And it does seem to be true that it is that transition phase from when a fertilized egg becomes and starts to form an infant. That particular part of development is when endocrine disruptors affect us the most. And again, the baby doesn't have to be born with three noses. It can be born looking absolutely fine until those hormone-disrupting problems gain pace and show up at some point in that a person's life. And of course, as you can imagine, there has been controversy over endocrine disruptors. You've got, you've got some groups out there uh, calling for swift action by regulators to remove all endocrine disruptors from the market and regulators and other scientists calling for further study. Some endocrine disruptors have been identified and removed uh, from the market. For example, the drug called diethylstilbestorol, DES, I'm sure you've heard about it, but it's uncertain whether some endocrine disruptors on the market actually harm humans and also wildlife at the doses in which wildlife and humans are exposed. This is something that the FDA and other groups talk about all the time. They're like, well, you know, we know that these endocrine disruptors are a problem for everyone at some big dose. Just about everyone will have a developmental or health problem, immune disruption, neurologic problems, other hormonal problems, you name it. They know it. But they say it doesn't seem that at this smaller level that people are affected. You know, once again, I would have to say, in my opinion, that most problems in life, most health problems, are because of small changes and perturbations and damages that add up. And then one day they get to that point and then we have a problem. But when that process of, let's say, small amounts of uh, damage occur from endocrine disruptors, people exposed and animals exposed, they don't seem to have a problem, but they do have a problem. These groups that are claiming, like the Food and Drug Administration, that a certain amount of these endocrine disruptors we should allow, we, we should not overstate their potential problems because we don't seem to see anything. You know, it exactly reminds me of genetically modified foods. So the, for those of you who are familiar with me, you know that I wrote a book called Frankenfoods, The Dangers of GMO. When I wrote this book, when everyone was crying about there wasn't evidence for GMOs to be dangerous, and there wasn't evidence to suggest that GMOs did not cause cancer like lymphoma. Now, you see television commercials by lawyers, legal firms saying, if you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and you've been exposed to GMOs, you need to call us. Why and how is this the same as endocrine disruptors? First of all, GMOs are examples of potential endocrine disruptors. So is gluten, just so you know. For example, we know Every gastroenterologist, every endocrinologist knows that for a person with, let's say, celiac disease who is exposed to gluten, half the time, 50% of the time, they'll have intestinal problems that are very easily recognized as celiac disease, and that's diarrhea. The other 50% of the time, the symptoms are called something very, very strange. They're called extra-intestinal, which simply means outside of the gut. So that person might have just like a chronic skin problem. And that's known to happen in a very specific way 
in uh, celiac disease. It's called dermatitis herpetiformis. And then, the, this is my point, gluten can act as an endocrine disruptor by causing Hashimoto's thyroiditis, an autoimmune condition of the thyroid gland. So the FDA is saying, hey, you know, we don't think that these endocrine disruptors are a problem for everybody, so the amounts that are in the environment are acceptable. We just don't want people exposed to more than that. Except we can't control these exposures, folks. You're exposed to endocrine disruptors and they cause problems that may be cumulative in you or that come and go. So they're not easy to even diagnose as being from endocrine disruptors. And again, the same thing is true of food allergies, gluten, and GMOs. You can't really tell. The only way to know if these things are actually the cause, are you ready for it? <laughs> okay. Is you eliminate that suspected insult entirely from your life for two to three weeks, let's say four weeks if you really want to be thorough. Then you add it back. You either eat the gluten, eat the GMOs, and see what happens. But then you need to do that more than once because lots of people will react due to what is known as a placebo effect. They have a way of having their body be affected by the reintroduction when it really isn't the substance they're eating, but it's their psychological response which only goes to underscore the power of selective reasoning and the power of the placebo effect, not just in causing symptoms that are adverse, but spontaneous cures. So I am not one of these individuals that are in the old school and they somehow believe that a placebo effect is a fake effect. It is a real biologic effect that we can control and we can learn to control much more often than, many, than, than some of us are now. So in terms of endocrine disruptors, it's one of those things, everyone, that is so pervasive in the environment that even if they were outlawed, we could never remove them from the environment. It just cannot happen. So what do we do? Well, there's probably a few things we can do. And I'm going to discuss this in a lot of detail soon, but I'm going to mention right now, though, the one thing we can do is we need to take the appropriate nutritional supplements that are targeted towards reducing the adverse effects of endocrine disruptors, blocking and binding to, and dismantling endocrine disruptors, and also transforming them in the body to forms of chemicals that can be easily excreted. We gotta get rid of them because endocrine disruptors love the body. They transform into chemicals. And if you do the detoxification wrong, here's something you may never have heard. If you attempt to, to detoxify anything, endocrine disruptors um, like 17-beta-estradiol, the bad estrogen, or pesticides or herbicides or fungicides or metals, heavy metals, which by the way, folks, heavy metals are endocrine disruptors too. They screw a, around with hormones causing disruption that affect every single system of the body causing every problem that you can imagine if you detoxify these things wrong, think of it this way. There are three phases of detox. I've mentioned this in my shows before. You might want to listen to my other show called Everything Detoxification. But I'm going to tell you that's key fact in about 10 seconds, and it is. We have three phases of detox, phase one, two, and three. The body needs to mobilize those endocrine disruptors or any toxin that you are feeling must be eliminated. 
And those toxins, because they stay in the body, they are known as fat-soluble. They stay in the fatty tissue, including the membranes that surround practically every cell in the human body. So toxins are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. There's no detoxifying the liver, as if somehow the liver is not related to everything else. There's no detoxifying the, the kidneys or the lungs. You must have an overall body participation in true detoxification. That's a book I will write one day, True Detoxification, because a lot of so-called detoxification out there isn't detoxification at all. We don't have any evidence that you're, we're detoxing anything. If someone has a high metal and they say, I detoxify, I must be good. I'm like, show me the pre and post metal testing. Is it gone? So if you detox wrong with the wrong foods and nutritional supplements, you will take those fat-soluble endocrine disruptor toxins or any toxins, by the way, folks, and you will turn them into a different chemical that is actually more toxic than the original chemical you started with. Now, what I just told you, that an initial toxin, if you detoxify it incorrectly, can become more toxic than it originally was, I didn't make it up. It's not even a holistic concept. This is a fundamental, well-known truth about the process of what's really called detoxication. Detoxification is not consistent, by the way, with, with the toxicology textbooks. They call it detoxication. It doesn't really matter. It's just that if you're gonna discuss this with, let's say, a physician, you wanna use the right terms. Otherwise, they think you're uninformed and just not worth listening to. So you need to use the right terms. Another one I hear a lot is Lyme's disease. It's not called Lyme's disease, it's Lyme disease. So these things sort of matter. It, it presents you differently in front of healthcare providers. They may take you serious, seriously in a different way. So we're gonna talk a little bit about how to properly detoxify, except you can imagine the kind of detoxification that you might need depends on what your exposures may have been. So when I sit with a person, I go over their entire lifespan and I want to know about their exposures. Do you live atop of a cleaners? Do you live in New York City? Are you living upstate? Uh, are you living in New Jersey? Uh, you get the point. We need to go through a careful environmental picture of what your exposures may have been over the course of your life because sometimes things really come up. For example, lots of Alzheimer's patients that I've seen throughout my 28-year career, a good number of them worked with paper. They worked as, uh, on printing presses or uh, on newspapers, or they were architects. Not all, but far too many of them. So I believe that there are endocrine disruptors, which we know now are, in these papers and chemicals and inks that can just get breathed in right through your nose. And, those, and that nose, folks, that you have, the nerve in the nose, which is called the olfactory nerve, the smell nerves, we have two of them, they are not nerves. Why would you care if they're a nerve or not? You know you smell out of your nose. Here's why. Think of your brain. Think of your brain as, as a piece of clay in your hand. If you take your other hand and start to squeeze that clay, 
just so you can push out like a worm out of it. Keep it together in the, in the clay that you're holding, but you wanna squeeze it out so it kinda of makes a worm that's attached to the clay, and you did that twice on it, you'd have the two optic nerves that come directly from your brain, which is the clay. So when you breathe in a toxin, it goes up that little worm, that nerve, which is not a nerve, it's just an extension of your brain, and goes right to your brain. What I am telling you is that many endocrine disruptors and other toxins, they have a beeline right to your brain through your olfactory system, which is only a couple of inches. It's about three, maybe four inches. That is it. So when you are protecting yourself or making a serious attempt, not some fake detox attempt, to really detoxify and identify and deal properly with endocrine disruptors, you must always, 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 every day, you have to take your supplements. And you need to take them between two times a day and three times a day, depending on what it is you want to do here. For example, there are xenoestrogen endocrine disruptors, which I mentioned earlier, which are the compounds made from plastics manufacturing. And they are always in the environment. When you sleep, when you wake up, when you go through your day, they're always there. And partly, I'm just saying partly now, quercetin and other phytonutrients might help to block them. And if you don't have those nutrients in your blood all the time, you are not blocking and binding to, to and detoxifying constantly your constant, never-ending exposure to not just endocrine disruptors, but all disruptors. So remember, there's phase one, two, and three. You have to have the right nutrition for phase one, for phase two, and don't get stuck in phase two, folks, because that is the phase where those endocrine disruptors are more toxic. You have to eliminate them through phase three, which means your body takes them, turns them from fat-soluble to water-soluble, then your body can get rid of them. So I would like to hear from some of you about whether or not my explanation of how toxins go through three phases and you don't want to get stuck in phase two, you got to go all the way to phase three, and that each phase requires some very specific nutrition, the nutritional doses. Yes, they should start with the doses on the bottles unless you are 10 or 15 pounds more overweight than you should be then you probably should increase your doses by another half. But better yet, one of the things that I do is I measure body composition. I've talked about it before. It's a simple test which tells me your metabolic rate and what percentage of your body is muscle, water, and fat. Your basal metabolic rate and other bits of information taken from the body composition test will give me a very nice idea of the dose of the supplements that you need for best protection against endocrine disruptors and toxins in general. Look, you've been to your doctor's office at some point in your life, right? And the doctor has said, okay, well, I'm gonna give you this drug at this dose. And then they might've said, well, you know, and you're, um, you know, you're 50 pounds overweight, so we're gonna go a little higher. So they increase the dose at times based on total weight of the person. But we know that that is wrong because it's, it could even be the opposite of what you should do. The dose should be based on 
the lean body mass of the patient, which is the active mass that acts upon and with medications and nutrients. So very, very important to figure out the right supplements, but the right dose for the right person at the right time, like all day, like twice a day to three times a day, you need to be taking your nutrients. Do they, should you take them with food? Should you take them without food? Should we reduce certain plant compounds in your diet because they might have endocrine disruptors in them? Or do we not? Okay, let's move on. Now, endocrine disruptors are found in many household and industrial products, even so-called products that are natural. And the list of endocrine disruptors is extremely long. And some people that I see have natural products in their houses, but they don't realize that they have potential endocrine disruptors in those products. So I have no choice but to sit and discuss and figure this out one person at a time. But what you should know is that, like I said, endocrine disruptors are in tons of household and industrial products. And they are substances that interfere, and here's a definition, with the synthesis, that means the production, the secretion, the transport, the binding action or elimination of natural hormones in the body that are responsible for proper and healthy development and fertility and maintenance of cellular balance. What we love to say in natural medicine is homeostasis. So these endocrine disruptors affect us and affect our hormones by binding to them, making them something they're not, or something that they you know, were, were not just until a moment ago, there's something new. They affect the body's ability to excrete hormones and, and act upon hormones, so they just get screwed up. And what you should know about endocrine disruptors if you start to read more about this is that they're sometimes referred to as hormonally active agents. Sometimes they're called endocrine disrupting compounds or endocrine disrupting chemicals. And the variety of terms used to describe these substances reflects not only a, la a large range of meaning, but a a of the fact that these endocrine disruptors are very, very harmful and they are hormonally active agents. So the, the ones that are hormonally active agents, they call them xenohormones. And my point here is that sometimes when you read the literature on this, the medical literature in particular, you might not even recognize that they're talking about a hormone disruptor. They're just calling the chemical something else, like diethylstilbestrol. You know, we know that as most people say ethyl and estrogen, okay, so that's an estrogen. They won't know that it's actually from plastic. So I always have the people that I work with have a baseline of detoxification for phase one, two, and three, and then also specific detoxification compounds that I know are safe and are relatively safe and have um, science behind them in terms of being able to help manage, block, and transform, and eliminate from the body endocrine disruptors. So I'm about to give you a a short but important nutritional list of nutrients, nutritional compounds that are probably appropriate for all forms of detoxification uh, of endocrine disruptors. But as you can imagine, the detoxification needs to be specific for the person, the toxin or toxins, 
uh, consideration of all other health issues. It's not like you can really just do detoxification for a person and let's say not affect their cardiovascular health if they have cardiovascular disease, or if you wanna help someone's gut problem uh, by let's say removing gluten, I mean, that's gonna affect their protein intake, which could affect something else. So these are generalized detoxification supplements that I think practically everyone needs although there are contraindications to certain nutrients for different people, but pretty much these are what most of my patients will be on. And then I go further beyond this short list I'm giving you to maximize uh, the focus and detoxification and importantly, the elimination of the uh, endocrine disruptors. So I will use a whey protein, um, a whey concentrate specifically. I feel that that's the best. We need proteins for several phases of the detoxification process. Different um, amino acids and proteins found in whey uh, improve immunity. They increase um, and support what's called phase two detox, where we're causing these, we're in the middle of transforming these endocrine disruptors from fat-soluble toxins to water-soluble toxins, and also for uh, holding on to lean body mass. A lean body mass is what does all the work in your body. So I will use a whey protein concentrate for that purpose. One could use a vegetarian protein, uh, preferably one with uh, rice and peas, and I call it Detox 5, and I sell that on my website at blooddetective.com. Um, overall, probably the v vegan is a better choice because it is lower on the acid ash scale. It doesn't produce as much acid in the body, the plant uh, uh, proteins as opposed to the animal proteins. And you'd follow the directions on the bottle for something like that. And then uh, I use something called uh, Superbugs. So Superbugs is a product of probiotics, as you might imagine. And the thing about proper detoxification and denaturization, breaking down endocrine disruptors, is that we need quite a number of different of what they call a synergistic a probiotics, several species of lactobacillus acidophilus, several species of bifidobacterium uh, acidophilus, and you'll find those in the uh, Superbugs product. And I also use N-acetylcysteine, NAC. So some of you may have heard of N-acetylcysteine. You do not want to work, you don't want to use rather cysteine alone. You want it to be the acetylated form. So N-acetylcysteine is important for lots and lots of important things. Uh, of course, the most important here is it is an essential compound for phase two liver detoxification. So once again, when we're talking about true detox, we really mean we need to use compounds that are actually the ones that our body's detoxification mechanisms require. So for example, spirulina is not going to be an effective endocrine disruptor. Is it a detoxifier? Possibly. Does it help elimination? Maybe. But N-acetylcysteine is proven again and again and again. And again, I, I say this sometimes, um, not with disrespect, but even the medical profession has this in their toxicology books, you know, as being an essential compound. When they're describing it to students reading this, these books, they don't say to them that, no, this is a substance you can buy in the health food store. Except 
you probably don't want to buy it in the health food store. You want to purchase it from your healthcare provider because your healthcare provider has done the legwork to, to make sure or produce him or herself uh, pharmaceutical grade supplements like those that I have. So we want N-acetylcysteine at a minimum of 500 milligrams every single day. And the thing about N-acetylcysteine is other than just binding and transforming uh, various endocrine disruptors, it uh, helps repair a lot of the damage that certain endocrine disruptors have upon cell membranes and other cells, tissues, and organs through their its very, very strong uh, antioxidant effect and its ability to increase a very important, uh, what's called the tripeptide in the body, which is a, an amino acid complex made of three amino acids. And it is glutathione, if for some of those, for those of you who guessed it. So glutathione is absolutely required for proper detoxification, elimination, transformation of endocrine disruptors. Now, a milk thistle, an old tried and true herb. So milk thistle is absolutely fundamental for everyday consumption and needed in at least a 300 milligram uh, dose of the uh, the what's called the Salibum uh, marinatum extract, the seed portion needs to be used. And that 300 milligrams of that extract should yield Salibin, which is the active ingredient, no less than 240 milligrams. Those are consistent with the studies. And that's what I use. Again, you can go to blooddetective.com. You go to the supplement section. You download a single page. You could order any of these things there. And also... Um, I should say about the milk thistle that it is important for both removal and excretion and also repair of uh, liver cells that are affected by many of these toxins. But it doesn't just have its effects in the liver. Almost everything, well actually everything that I've just described doesn't simply work only in the liver. It's important too when you're detoxifying properly that you use a pharmaceutical grade CoQ10. So the CoQ10 uh, that I use is in the ubiquinone form because it's the most studied. You want to start with at least 100 uh, milligrams. And CoQ10 helps to upregulate the mitochondrial energy production, which is re absolutely required for the cellular energy to disrupt endocrine disruptors, if that makes sense. Maybe I'll give you a couple more here before we continue a little bit more is uh, those of you listening know that I have four superfood detoxification products. They are simply called Detox 1, Detox 2, Detox 3, and Detox 4, and they're different colors. One's uh, purple, one's red, one's orange, and one is green based on the concentration of the different plant products. I took years figuring out these amounts. So quite honestly, it does... Um, frustrate me when, when someone will come in and see me and say, well, oh, I, I already have a green one or I have a red one. And then we take a look at what's in them. And then when we look at the medical studies on the National Library of Medicine in terms of the doses I have, the combinations I have, the, the synergistic balance that I, that I determined, they're not all the same just because it's green. So not all supplements are the same, folks. I know a good deal of you, maybe even most of you are aware of this, but some of you are not and you're taking supplements for years that are either worthless or even harmful or simply not doing the job well enough. I sat with an individual yesterday who uh, has been you know, on the radio and educating himself and reading books for 25, 35 plus years. 
he had health problems for which I looked at his supplement list. The supplement list looked pretty reasonable, except it wasn't working. I looked at his lab work, three inches of lab tests, and then looked at additional new studies. And if I didn't know better looking at these, these tests, I wouldn't know that he was ever on supplements at all. But in all fairness, he could have been far worse off without them. It's just I'm so used to seeing better results, so much better results than I had seen with him on what he was taking. I had to conclude that a good deal of what he was taking was either not working, of poor quality, and or he had, maybe there were other reasons, and there were, like he didn't absorb normally. But if, he, if you're not absorbing normally, the funny thing is you don't absorb the good stuff well, like nutrients and, and macronutrition from foods. But when you're malabsorbing, you somehow tend to absorb endocrine disruptors and other toxins perfectly well. <laughs> Remember, malabsorption is a, is a condition that refers to the small intestine. The small intestine is where practically all absorption occurs in the body of nutrition. When you have malabsorption, there is generally a leakiness, right? Leaky gut syndrome, leakiness of the small intestine. The tissue breaks down. The tissue of the small intestine, it's a, it's a tube of tissue, right? And tissue is made of cells. So a bunch of little circles make up this tube called your small intestine. Those circles are the cells. But when you disrupt and shrink and break apart and damage those cells, there's a lot more space now between them, right? That's the leaky gut. And those larger spaces, they allow foods to fly through, organisms from your intestinal tract to fly through, and also endocrine disruptors. And guess what? All of those things that slip through, folks, they have access to your entire body and can do anything and generally do create all sorts of havoc. So once this stuff is out there, it's in your blood, and there you are living your life, and you're breathing in stuff, you're drinking stuff, and if you think just purifying your water is gonna do it, think again. That's only one source. If you breathe, you need true detoxification. That means you need to have nutrients such as the ones that I'm talking about, and a few others in a moment, that really can help eliminate these endocrine disruptors and other toxins from your body throughout the course of the day. The truth of the matter actually is that we really need nutritional supplements three times a day. And listen, I'm human too. I do not take my supplements three times a day. I have to admit that to you. I just don't get around to it sometimes. But that's a problem. That means there's going to be an opportunity for endocrine disruptors that are always there waiting for their opportunity to do something, potentially. So there are ways around this sometimes, taking higher doses at noon if you think you're gonna skip your PM dose. That's something I work out with individuals, but uh, important to keep in mind. So the Detox 1 through 4 products have a very impressive balance of uh, phytonutrients which can disrupt hormone disruptors. And if you have normal weight, you take one level scoop. I've increased this dose since my last show. One level scoop now of each of these mixed together, diluted in water to taste. You just drink that once a day. If you're overweight by more than 50 pounds, you're going to need two drinks of Detox 1 through 4. That's DTOX 1 through 4. One scoop, diluted to taste twice a day if you're 50 pounds or more overweight, or one scoop of each mixed together at the same time. 
Some people think that I want them to take detox one first and then take detox two. I do do that depending on certain problems and endocrine disrupting uh, uh, techniques. So, but I'm giving you what is good for everyone in general with few exceptions. But having said that, that is a perfect segue into my disclaimer. I don't know you. Uh, you should not be taking nutrients without some supervision from a professional like your doctor if he or she is trained and someone qualified to uh, monitor you on nutritional supplementation. I'm going to mention one other supplement at the moment and I call it true detox. I've mentioned that word a couple of times or that phrase true detox a few times because again, most individuals that I have seen, they have the the determination, they have intelligence, they have experience, they have knowledge about what they need to detox, but they're not taking the most uh, appropriate nutritional compounds for their specific detox problems. So I put together a, a product that I call True Detox, and it has some of these, well, it contains all of these key detoxifiers that we all need for detoxification. One is choline. I haven't mentioned choline yet, but choline is absolutely required. We need at least 200 milligrams a day, every day. And then the milk thistle, I told you no less than about 200 milligrams. And then L-methionine. That's a very important amino acid that is required for a phase two liver detox of toxins. Turmeric. First of all, I love turmeric. It's big in the news, it's always been awesome, and the only time not to take it is if you're on blood thinners because it can thin your blood too much and then you can have a hemorrhagic stroke. Um, Has that been reported in the literature? Not that I know, but I have to tell you that because it's theoretically possible. But as long as you're not on blood thinners, um, this product, True Detox, would be a good idea. You won't see it on the website on blooddetective.com, you'll need to write it in at the bottom of the page. It's that new. So the first batch of this stuff is coming out uh, next week or the week after. And then there's, so the turmeric needs to be a minimum of 80 milligrams. Not a lot of turmeric actually, but when you combine it with the 100 milligrams of L-methionine and the 200 milliliters of the milk thistle extract and the 200 milliliters of the choline, it acts much better. And of course, the N-acetylcysteine, as I mentioned, another amino acid called inositol, yet another called glycine, and both inositol and glycine should be at 25 milligrams minimum. And then very important for hormone disrupting effects of nutrition, you know, uh, disrupting the hormone disruptors or the endocrine disruptors is uh, DIM. And the, the, prop, the thing about DIM or methane, is that it's from cruciferous plants, and those cruciferous plants have nice qualities, uh, quality dim, but you'd have to consume four or five plates of cruciferous vegetables a day to get the basic lowest level dose that you would need, which is uh, about 200 milligrams of dim. But when you combine dim with the products that I've just mentioned, the choline, the milk thistles, the L-methionine, the turmeric, the NAC, the inositol, the glycine, the dim dose needs to be around 20 to possibly 40 milligrams a day. It needs to be much lower when you combine it properly. And then lastly, alpha-lipoic acid. Alpha-lipoic acid is a strong liver detoxifier. 
It has all kinds of other effects in the body too. Uh, it helps peripheral neuropathy. It works extremely well for high blood sugar and, and balancing blood sugar. Uh, it's a general antioxidant, not just in fatty areas in the brain, but also watery areas in the, in the, I should say fatty areas in the body, but also water areas in the body. So lipoic acid is fat and water soluble, which means it can go into and, and its levels can increase in both fatty areas like the breast tissue or the brain or the cell membranes of all the cells that have cell membranes, but also the watery areas of the body like the systole. That's all you need to know is it can go everywhere. And if it can go everywhere, it can help clean up a lot of damage everywhere caused by endocrine disruption. You know, when scientists measure the amount of endocrine disruptors, let's say in their study animals, they basically find that the endocrine systems in these animals are loaded with endocrine disruptors. So just to be clear, the endocrine system, the hormonal system, uh, consists of glands, uh, and these glands in the body, like the thyroid gland, secretes hormones. And hormones travel throughout the body and they act as chemical messengers. They're literally a language. So hormones interface with cells that contain matching receptors on their cell surfaces. Wow, that's a big one. But if you understand this, you really understand endocrinology. Let me repeat it, but differently. When you think of hormones from the adrenal glands, the thyroid gland, anterior pituitary hormones like TSH, FSH, LH, these hormones interface. They go to other cells of the body and the ones that they can talk to are the ones that allow them in, are the ones that have receptors. They are receptive to these hormones. But these endocrine disruptors, they screw up that relationship. They screw up that relationship on a number of levels, but that's one of the ways, by interfering with the hormone receptors. So endocrine disruptors disrupt the hormone receptors and they might act as a hormone, stimulating the receptor, or they might act as an anti-hormone, blocking the receptor. So let's say, folks, you have breast cancer. Do you want soy products? Do you not want soy products? Well. I can just tell you this, it depends. But what I can tell you now is, in some people, soy products, which have a chemical structure, well, they have compounds in them that have a chemical structure that looks a lot like estrogen in the body, but it's not estrogen, it's not even a hormone, but it is a potential hormone disruptor. Now, soy, the genistein and daidzein compounds within soy, they can stimulate an estrogen receptor on someone's breast tissue, making the breast cancer worse. Or they can stimulate the estrogen or testosterone receptor on a man's prostate, making that worse. Or it can block testosterone receptors at a man's prostate or block estrogen receptors at a woman's breast tissue and help them. Wow, that's confusing. The same thing, genistein and daidzein and soy can help or hurt someone? Yes. So when patients say to me, Dr. Wald, is soy good for me? Is dim good for me? Should I be taking milk thistle? And I say to them, it depends on your needs. Certain things like milk thistle, I say, yes, I can't think of a reason you, couldn't, you shouldn't be taking that. But there are things in the area of hormone disruptors. Remember, we're talking... There are hormone disruptors in foods 
There are additives in foods that are hormone disruptors. Even organic foods can have hormone disruptors. Uh, GMO uh, foods and chemicals and pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, um, chemicals, metals in the air that we breathe, we're all exposed. And if your diet is perfectly clean, well, that's fantastic, but it's not gonna do it all. Like I said, we need supplementation, in my opinion, that allows us to promote true detoxification. For those of you joining us late or you've joined us at some point during this very, I hope, interesting and, and practical conversation, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and I host this show, which is Ask the Blood Detective. I practice clinical nutrition in Westchester, New York, in the town of Mount Kisco, Somers, and Katona, located an hour north of New York City by the Metro North. And I want to invite everyone listening. I did this last show. Please come to my new open house in Somers. It starts at 3.30. It ends at 7.30 p.m. I'm going to have delicious vegan vegetarian foods. We'll be giving tours of the, of the office. You'll see the technologies. You'll see the whole place. I'll be giving short uh, presentations. It'll be very relaxed. That's on October 23rd, which is a Friday. You do need to RSVP which uh, you'd want to do by emailing me at info at blooddetective.com. That's info, like information, at blooddetective.com. You can call me, that's the second best way, at 914-552-1442. The date again, mark your calendars, please invite your friends. October 23rd, which is a Friday from 3.30 to 7.30 p.m. It's going to be such a fun time. Also, you'll be getting a free... Uh, health bag that I put together with all kinds of cool stuff in it that you'll, you'll love and appreciate. And I want to shake your hand. I want to thank you for listening to the show. And you can give me your topic ideas. Okay. So a few other thoughts, a few other parting thoughts regarding endocrine disruptors. Please realize, if it hasn't dawned on you up to this point, is that endocrine disruptors can affect every single tissue in the body. So endocrine disruptors can cause any number of cancers in certain people. And you might not have thought of those cancers as being hormonally related. Endocrine disruptors can, and I have no doubt, cause Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of dementia and brain decay, including minimal brain dysfunction, which is kind of like dementia, but a lot of people have aspects of minimal brain dysfunction. They just, they just have no memory anymore. I can give you so many examples as I think about this. But my point here again is these conditions, we know that they can be caused by hormone problems. But most individuals, and you may not be most individuals, think of hormones as the sex hormones. So you think that maybe fertility issues would be affected, possibly skin quality, hair, nails, teeth from estrogen being blocked or produced not so much in the body or uh, erectile dysfunctions or libido dysfunctions. And maybe if you're a little more sophisticated in your thinking, you're thinking, well, endocrine disruptors, that would cause thyroid problems and uh, anterior pituitary and adrenal problems and um, uh, ovarian issues. You're correct. That would, that would all be true. But once again, the organs in your bodies, think about them, your brain, your heart, your thyroid, your small intestine, your large intestine, your adrenals, your muscles, your lymphatic system, etc., etc., your nervous system, your, all, the, all of it has a different sensitivity to different hormones. 
And that's why this can be so confusing. So as I said when I opened up the show, if you have chronic health problems that you have not sufficiently gotten answers for, I would suggest you consider looking into the whole endocrine disrupting concept and adjusting your supplementation to account for it very, very thoroughly. Your total body weight is a factor in the dosing, your body's composition of lean organ mass. Do you absorb normally? Heck, if you have a blood acid base balance that's wrong, even that can affect the way in which hormone disruptors can affect you. The list goes on and on. I wish I could talk more about all of this, but I want to thank you all for listening. It's always a pleasure for me to think about the topics that you want to hear and present them. It makes me better, and I hope it makes you better in terms of your education and your ability to act as your own personal advocate, your own blood detective. My phone number is 914-552-1442. RSVP for the open house, which is in Westchester, an hour north of New York City, by emailing me at info at blooddetective.com. I need your phone number. I need your name and how many people you think might attend. Thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Show you.